Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Episode number 23 with Richard Tyler. Welcome to Thrive Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and business coach, and I have decided to bring on other successful entrepreneurs to share their story and how they are helping others to do the impossible. My guest today is Richard Tyler, Chief Possibility Architect of BTFI Limited, best-selling author, international speaker, coach, and provocateur. He has spent decades playing lead roles in West End theater like Phantom of the Opera and Les Miserables. He sees human potential through the creative lens of performance. His mission is to enable everyone to be happy human beings, living their life on purpose. Through disrupting the personal development industry and provoking the way that people think, his passion to get you out of your way so you can live a limitless life and create a positive impact footprint on the planet. Welcome, Richard. Hey, Amy. Good to speak to you. I love the intro. I'm going to get you to do that for me, I think. Of everything that I put out. <laughs> and it always sounds so much better in an American accent, I think. <laughs> you know, I'm always thinking the opposite. I always think that everyone that has an English accent just say, sounds way more cool. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that on my very first trip to America, being overwhelmed by the number of people going, oh, can you just, can you say something else for me, please? I go, yeah, sure. Would you like me to, this was like in a restaurant or something. You say, do you want me to read the items on the menu to you? Oh, yeah. Can you do that for me, please? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, great. It's true. Maybe there's a way to make money in that somehow. Uh, you know, I think, I think there it. is. I think there could be. So thank you so much for coming on today. I'm excited to have you on because, you know, before this program, we actually met briefly. And yeah. just the approach that you have as far as a breakthrough in people's lives and achieving success, and then you actually being able to do that yourself is really amazing. So I'm really, really excited for everyone else to start to hear part of your story and how you became a coach. So I'm wondering if we can start today where you can describe a little bit of your background and your journey that made you to be an entrepreneur and the coach you are today. Yeah, sure. Of course, it was a funny old adventure, I have to say. And probably I, if you'd have asked me 30 years ago, would I end up here doing this kind of stuff? I'd have gone, no, 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 not at all. So at the age of nine, uh, my mum took me to see some theatre and I uh, had the most extraordinary experience of being moved and touched and something ignited inside me. And I asked my mum who would take over uh, in that particular show in kind of latter years. And she thought, well, closed by then. I said, well, if it's finished, then I want my kids to see it. I, simply, I'll have to do it. And kind of that decision was made and the seed was planted. And off I went and found myself a little drama school and a music coach and uh, and the rest, as I say, I guess is, is history. And other than a ton of hiccups along the way of, you know, once I decided that I wanted to be a singer and not getting into the school choir because they told me I couldn't sing was a bit of a problem. Okay, it's a problem when you've decided you're going to be a singer and someone says, no, you're not good enough. But I was relentless and fearless and determined and I got myself into music college and had eight years, as you said in your intro, playing I played Phantom in Phantom of the Opera in London, and I played Leeds in Les Miserables, and I sang concert halls across the globe, and I did really cool creative stuff within that arts arena of film, television, theatre, and, and music. That, I, I believe, actually is the most significant stepping stone to me doing what I do today with a creative lens, so bringing 
elements of what is it that makes up extraordinary performance within the world of music and theatre and how do we start to look through our, the life of our, almost the lens of our own life and the lens of our business life and look at it very differently through a creative lens. It was a big step change for me when I guess I shifted from my creative space, my music space, which was all that I'd known for, I guess, 20 years to decide that that was no longer what I wanted to do. And I'm very much on the backdrop of being unwell, managing terrible anxiety, managing a, a monologue in my head that would, you know, the being on stage for three hours actually was the easy bit. The harder bit was coming off stage. And then what happens in the you know, 20, 21 hours in between then of needing to get some sleep, but actually having a very busy mind, uh, big perfection drivers. And actually, I think I became at the point I probably didn't realize it, but quite unwell and uh, just unable to continue with that lifestyle and made a decision to leave and burn bridges was really important. And through some very odd situations, I met a lady that ran a learning and development consultancy and she couldn't answer all my ifs and buts and problems, but she did say, I, I love this idea of how do we bring performance into an organizational perspective. So I spent a few years there. I trained as a behavioral psychologist uh, and as a coach. And then a few years later, I set up BTFI, which is our organizational space, our corporate space is to blend, you know, the psychology of people, the psychology of organization, the thinking, the feelings, the attitudes, the purpose piece, and connect it with actually the principles and the real DNA of being the most brilliant, extraordinary, creative soul and fusing those two together. So that's uh, that's kind of what we do, and but you know, ultimately underpinning everything I do, even if that's in kind of deeply therapeutic one-to-one -one work with someone, is still the essence of what it means to be in that performance and creative space. You know, I I have a question about what you just said, and that is, you mentioned bringing the creativity out of people. What if there is somebody that you run into that doesn't consider themselves naturally creative? Yeah, I think, you know, as you know, you know, as well as I do, people are wonderful at telling themselves uh, incredible stories and attaching stories to their world and to their life and to situations in front of them. And I meet a lot of people that run a story of I'm not creative. And I think we have some funny ideals, don't we? We have some funny beliefs uh, around what being creative means. So people speak to me and go, well, yeah, but you're a real creative because you make music and you sing and you perform and you bring stories to life and you engage people. And so that's real creativity. I don't do creativity. And actually, as soon as you start to tap into their life, you find that actually they do creativity. They do it in a very different way. We often think creativity, I think, has to be around arts and has like a performance flair to it or it's that we make something. Actually, my belief, my starting principle is that we all have a capacity to be incredibly creative. Our soul has this yearning to be creative in some way, and that can be expressed in so many different ways. And that can be through cooking, or it can be through the way in which we tell stories to our children when they go to sleep, or creative just in the way we write, how we hold a pen. And I think we sometimes write that stuff off as being, no, kind of creativity is big stuff. It's the kind of game-changing pieces. It's making things. It's designing things. I think that's a real bullshit story that people just get seduced by, and then when they don't do it, they uh, label themselves as not creative. 
but uh, I, I and I don't I'm not actually sure the education system helps that because they also I, I see at my daughter's school kind of box children off into those that are creative and those that aren't and it becomes almost quite binary in going well yeah but you're you do logic and you're good at math so therefore you can't possibly be good at the creative stuff and they start to push them down a the road where you go actually that's not healthy we have to encourage our our children to express and express explore both their logical and rational side and their ability to think and make connections and processes and systems but also to just to tap in and unravel what that creative side is in their life and do it very early it's, it's really important but the education system generally i think is still lets children down that's really powerful there i i agree and i think too you mentioned this earlier of when you started out being told that you weren't good enough and i think that when you're creative even if you're in that box of being creative and the one that's the performer, there's always somebody that's going to be better than you. And so it's easy to just be like, well, I'm not going to do it or not even take the time to develop it. And I think that we see that happen a lot, right? And uh, people will be told something once, twice, three times, and then stop, stop pushing into that space. So they kind of give up and release and, and turn their attention elsewhere. And interesting for me, as you talk about it, it's like, I often refer to some of Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey work quite a lot. And I love the whole piece about that original, you know, the quest, it starts with the quest, the the hero sees this opportunity on the horizon and kind of follows it. And that, that first step, once they take that first step, there's a part of, you know, what skills do I need? What capabilities do I need? What attitude do I need to be able to conquer this? And they start to almost build their support network and their tribe and they get, they get a bit of confidence and they have an immediate breakthrough. And the very next piece in the hero's journey is the test. And the universe delivers the test to us to see actually how much do we want that thing? How much do you really want it? And actually, I think those, the pushback for me was very much the universe giving me a test to see how much I wanted it. And I pushed through. It didn't matter that they said, no, you're not in the choir, which didn't make any sense to me at all because I thought my singing was amazing. But clearly someone thought that my singing was not amazing. Um, but for me, that whole test piece was hugely important. And, and I have the very same conversation with clients now where they sit down in front of me. Sometimes they may feel uh, quite broken with how their life is and fragile. And w we talk about, you know, that the quest to do something different and the opportunity they have to shape something different. And they start to push forward. And I pretty much guarantee whether that's within, you know, a day, two days, a week, two weeks, pretty much tops. There's some kind of test. The universe sends them something. Uh, they, it delivers something to them for that very opportunity to go, how much do you want this thing? And it's your choice point to go, actually, do you want it enough? Is it compelling enough? Are you emotionally committed to it enough? Is it kind of your North Star? Are you really following it? Because if it is, then you're going to push through it and you're going to be creative and you're going to find ways. And if you are not, if one of those pieces are out of alignment, then the chances are you're going to retreat and, and give up and shift focus elsewhere. So that was ultimately my test. I know that. I know in those early days, which was the right test to present because in, you know, in a creative space, for actors and musicians, certainly when I was working in that field, 93% at any time are unemployed. So the odds for you working were not great. And, yeah. and your ability to handle the rejection and the pushback and the put down is, is more important than your ability to manage the ups and the highs. So what was the most difficult decision you've had to make to fulfill your destiny? Choosing to pack it in 
actually, by far. And almost at the time, there was something that felt quite easy about it, actually. I kind of fooled myself into thinking that it was easy. It's actually with hindsight that I spot that it, it, it really was the hardest wrestle. And I think I'd wrestled with it for quite a long time, which when it got to the end of going, now I have to do this, in that moment, it became quite easy. It became a no-brainer to end my contracting phantom. Uh, actually, within that world of theatre and music, I was really successful and very fortunate to have had so many amazing opportunities. But to go to my agent to say, I'm not going to renew my contract. Don't put me up for anything. And he was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. You know, you have a few weeks out and then let's talk. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand me. I'm not doing this thing anymore. Yeah, yeah, no. Why don't you have a couple of months out? And then, no, because if I have a couple of months out and you keep putting me up for stuff and I can't pay my mortgage in three months, I'm going to be coming back to you to take any job. I said, so this, is, this has to be burn bridges. I have no idea what's next, and that's okay. And I remember that very, that my final performance in Phantom, as soon as that curtain came in, this extraordinary weight and pain in my system lifted. Uh, and so, so although in that moment I go, in those last few months of having to make a decision on a contract and decide that I wasn't going to go up for any more work, uh, felt quite easy. I think I grappled with it probably for... 12 to 18 months at least prior to that with just that uncomfortable inner wrestle that knowing it wasn't right for me anymore but not knowing what was and there was an acceptance always that I could go back if I need that if this if this whatever this new thing could be if it really doesn't work I can go back to this thing that I know I'm good at and that's really important and serves me now so if you know if on Monday I wake up and decide I don't want to do this thing that I'm doing anymore I feel really comfortable with that uh, and I, uh, I will accept that and I will move on and I will find my new thing. So that doesn't frighten me. And that, that piece of learning was really important in the journey. And, and I think, you know, within that difficult decision, there was a degree of, and, and I don't think I had a label for it at the time, but a real sense of, a real sense of trust and release. William White talks about the need to, you know, trust and release, trust that we do all we can and, we give it all we can and we show up in the way that we can and then we have to let go of that ability for us to stay detached from our outcomes. Actually, I think I did that. And I think because of that, a part of that made the transition smooth from going from what I, all that I knew, all that my friends knew, all that my family knew of me. That's what they associated me with as a musician, as, as a performer, as, a, as the phantom, as all kinds of things like that. Almost it felt, it actually meant dropping my identity, I guess. Because my identity, someone says, what do you do? You go, oh, I'm a musician, I'm a performer, I'm a singer. And literally from the Saturday to the Monday, and people go, what do you do on the Monday? I go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an identity. I'm not a musician because I feel like I've left that behind. I can do music. I can do singing. I can do performing. I do all those things. But it didn't feel at that time that it was a part of me. It felt like I wanted to release that identity. So in some ways, I think I grappled with it for a long time and when the moment came to go I have to do this now it actually felt quite simple and straightforward but by far the the, the toughest part of the journey to date. You touched on a couple of things I think that are so profound especially in the entrepreneur world of building a business and how things often change and you could start offering one service say and then just naturally things shift, there's a demand for something else and you, you're led that direction. And the other thing was 
about letting go of the outcome. That's pretty profound as well, I think. You hear a lot of people that they do, they get really stressed out. Or even, even if you're a coach, that's especially a thing where you feel responsible for people's outcomes. But at the end of the day, they're responsible for their actions. You know, we have three filters in life. And these are our, our only three options for what we do with stuff that comes at us, which I talk about as CIA. We are choices to control, influence, or accept. And we have, it's like we have three buckets. And in the first bucket, we have all the things that we can control. And that might be our, you know, that's our attitude, our mood, our reaction, our feelings, our thoughts. That's the only thing that goes in the control bucket. If we then don't control it, it goes in the next bucket, which is influence. So there's stuff that we have influence over through our energy and our manner and our tone and our, the way in which we show up and our story we tell. We have huge influence and that can be quite an expansive piece, but we don't control it. We must make the distinction between those two things. And then we have the third bucket, which is about accepting that we, there is stuff that we just is not within our gift. We don't control it and we don't influence it as someone else's. And it's really important that we get, we get our stuff in the right bucket. And I see a lot of people that get stuff in the wrong bucket and they put things that they simply have influence over. They put it in the control bucket and we're doomed. If we get our stuff in the wrong bucket, we instantly get in our own way. So I think that's, that's incredibly important to go, you know, have you got the right stuff in the right bucket? Because if you haven't, you've, you've set yourself really an outcome that is not within your gift. And it's then very difficult to manage. And I think as an entrepreneur now, and as a, even in a corporate world, that needs to be agile and flexible and to be able to divert and think fast and stay very present. The courage then to act in a world that is moving incredibly fast uh, is a real important trait. And within that, to stay detached from the outcome. I think the, the universe continues to present that learning for me still every day about the things I become uh, attached to. And I certainly know that as a performer, my desperation coming home every day, checking the answer phone to see if I got a call from my agent, if I'd got the job. And if it was anyone else other than my agent, I wasn't interested in hearing it. And then I go into complete, well, you know, kind of stuff. And then I don't want it. I don't want the job. I was never going to get it anyway. I don't want it. I don't even bother ringing. Then I wouldn't even look at the phone for a day or two. And, and that cycle of being so attached and taking the outcome and holding it in the palm of our hands and gripping on tight, we block the flow of energy. It's like, you know, the sun knows how to rise each day and it knows how to set and the, the acorn knows how to grow into an oak tree. It, it, all of this stuff, the, the world is in perfect flow until we think we are cleverer than it and we take the energy and we attempt to force it down a different road. We take it and we push it and we manipulate it into uh, going into a different direction. Uh, and then, of course, we block the energy and that's in our own personal system. That's what creates the, the dis-ease within the system, right? That we take the energy and we stop it. That is, that is a problem when we, when we then get attached. We get attached to someone in our life, a something, a job, an opportunity, an outcome, or something that we want. We stay attached, we grab it, and therefore we attempt to divert the energy flow. For me, that's, that's a, it's a real art form for people to learn to allow, the stuff, allow stuff to happen and our ability to accept accept what happens and to allow it to move through the system because it's, and keep the energy flowing through us. So what are some other ways that you've seen people get in their own way? I think there are a few things. As a performer, I remember actually at you know, 7.29 every night, 
there's a non-negotiable that's about to happen, which is I have to go out and deliver something extraordinary. That is, that is not up for negotiation. It's not up in my world, it's not up for negotiation about how I show up and what I deliver and giving all of my energy. I think I see a lot of people in business, entrepreneurs get in their own way because they think that bit is up for negotiation and that it is okay to kind of cruise through some things and to not be fully present and fully engaged. So I think, you know, part of this is about the showing up is non-negotiable. How we show up, the choices we make in that is up for negotiation. But that piece around, I have to show up, I have to be all in, is non-negotiable. So I see a lot of people, they kind of do that deal in their head where they think, here's the places I'll show up fully and here's the places where I'll show up 70% and here are things that are less important that 40%. I go, you're all in. And if you're not all in, then there are consequences for that in a business if we choose to only uh, own and show up in a certain part of it. Another element is, I talk quite a lot about this concept of when you're in the room, be in the room. I say that a lot. It's the only deal I do with anyone I work with ever at a workshop or keynotes or coaching is when you're in the room, be in the room. Because we spend a huge amount of time being in the room and not actually being in the room. So physically with our bodies there, but our mind is all over the place. And I know that I've been on stage when I wait for a conductor to bring in a piece of music and the conductor isn't there. Uh, I've waited for pieces of scenery to fly in and then and they don't come in. Or I've waited for a light to come up on me and the light doesn't come up. Or I wait for someone to come on stage with me to sing a duet and they don't come on. And as a performer, that ability to stay in the room and then agile and adapt and to be able to work, because I, I can't stand there in front of 3,000 people and go, sorry, my you know, love interest didn't come on for this song. That's not an option. The only option is to find a way to work it have to find a way to work it and the only place we can find our solution to work it is if we are in the room because the moment we leave that room a moment are mentally energetically emotionally we divert somewhere else is game over absolutely it's game over for our ability to be able to uh, adapt and evolve and upgrade and flex our approach and i think you know the world is crazy busy crazy fast and if we think we can navigate it by not being in the room, by attempting to be in all these different places, doing all these different things, and wherever we are, we are not fully present, we are immediately in our own way. We immediately block possibility and potential. And my deal with an audience is always, look, if there is something that is more seductive and pulling of your time than being here doing this thing with me, then go do that. If that means you need to go and send an email because you need to get that out of your system or you need to make a call or something is troubling you in your mind, then go and pay attention to it so that you can then be back here and fully in this place. But as soon as we attempt to go, oh, I'll, I can be here in this place having half an ear on this and half an ear on this, all these other things in my head, we lose every opportunity to make any kind of gear change for ourselves. I think one of the other ones that's really important is that I see a lot of people who who live very much by the map they come in and they go but this is the map because this was the map last week and this was the map last month so by going left at the end of the road and then right and going around the roundabout and then the one-way system that got me to my destination and you're like yeah but as we know with maps maps quickly go out of date so my sat now from one week to the next can be out of date because the world moves 
and that road isn't there anymore or that roundabout has gone or that one-way system has moved or there's now a new building there that wasn't there last week the map is out of date so I, I see a lot of people that get so wedded to the map they come in they follow the map and then they get frustrated because they realize it doesn't take them to the place they want to go to to which I would say throw away the map burn the map what you must have though is your is your north star is your uh, is is heading due north which is about purpose so as long as you know where you're heading the compass will always get you there will always get you there and you'll always be moving in the right direction and that's the trust piece that's trust that we follow the compass but throw away the map and if you don't have your due north as an entrepreneur then you have to find it as your first piece of work is about be absolutely clear on why do you do your thing what is the destination what's the intention you've set what is it you're heading towards and then then hold your compass and follow it every day take action that gets you one step closer to that if you come in each day just simply following the map the the, the map is out of date that's really good i think it's easy to along those lines for especially with social media and all of that where I mean, like I have a YouTube channel, you create one video, that one does really amazing. There is some sense to this of, okay, create more content like that. But if that's not your ultimate destination or vision or purpose, that's a perfect example of don't just follow what everyone else likes, but make sure that you are faithful to your purpose and that North Star in the process. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? That's what yeah. can be really hard. That's, and that for me is another, it comes back to, you know, hero's journey. It's a test to test how much you want this thing. And, and also within that, you, you know, you, you have to be emotionally committed to your goal, emotionally connected to the purpose. And when you ask, you know, why does, why do people still get in their own way? And that's another one of the big pieces that, people there's not enough emotional commitment intellectually they want it their head wants it and i i talk a lot about you know people fall in love with the destination they fall in love with the place they want to get to they completely fall head over heels in love with it and they don't fall in love with the process to get there and we have to fall in love with the process to get there because if we don't then the universe is going to test us and we're going to fall at the first hurdle and that's about getting really emotionally committed you've got to really want this thing if it doesn't light the fire in your belly and that that will be balanced with fear when i set up the business i was bloody terrified absolutely terrified i so wanted it i so had my north star but i was terrified because there was so, way more unknowns than i felt i'd ever navigated in my life but I wanted this thing enough, which meant actually I'll go out and I'll, I'll turn the unknowns into knowns. I'll do that. But without that emotional commitment, you've got to do that emotional sense check. Do you want it enough? Because if you want it enough, you'll see it through. You'll be creative. You'll come up with ways to navigate round problems and issues. And you'll also start to build your tribe. You know, building, having your tribe around you is so important. Who are your supporters? Who are your cheerleaders? Who are those people that are going to high five you when you do brilliantly? Uh, and who are the people that are going to give the tough love when you're not playing true to what it is you want? That's really good. And I, and I think that along those lines too, of having those people that are going to give you some truth serum, because how many times, you know, you just have the good friend around you. Oh, you're just doing great. Keep doing it. And you know, that there's another level for you to reach. But it's so, yeah, it's so 
to have those people that are honest with you. Now you have, you have a program that you offer before we dive into a, a little bit about that, because you are a very skilled at coaching people with breakthrough and some of the things that you are skilled at, like hypnotherapy. And a lot of people hear that maybe they've gone to a party and they've seen somebody make someone turn into a chicken, <laughs> you know, like in America, I don't know about the UK, but I, that is, that's like a thing. I've seen that so many times in my life. Come on. Who doesn't want to be a chicken? Come on. Tell me. Everyone wants to be a chicken, even if it's just for a minute in their life. Yeah. And no, I get that. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about just the perspective of hypnotherapy from a coaching perspective and how you kind of utilize that in your coaching. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will have that response and I think they confuse hypnosis with kind of cognitive hypnotherapy. And so the very therapeutic part, there's a big distinction between that and uh, stage hypnosis. Uh, of course, the inducing a state might be uh, the, the only similarity in it in terms of outcome and purpose are very different. Yeah, I think um, we, what we must remember is that all of us numerous times every single day enter some kind of hypnotic state. As soon as we begin to daydream, as soon as we get massively seduced by a book or by an article that we're reading or by a television program or a film, that point where this is, this is the only thing in our world and actually it almost becomes our world for that moment. As soon as we get lost there, we are in uh, almost an altered state of consciousness. And that happens for the majority of people many, many times a day. Now, some people will be hugely receptive to entering hypnotic state uh, more than others. Some people will be so receptive they can enter a state in, in a nanosecond. Others with uh, often very logic brains, very scientific brains, will find it uh, harder to go there at the start because they'll want to resist it in some way. So what the starting point is everyone has uh, the possibility and potential to, to access a state. And I think what, what I often get asked at the beginning of any session is people go, you know, are you going to, are you going to put me under? And you're like, what do you mean under? Like, <laughs> like under the floorboards or something. Do you think I'm going to beat you around the head with a wet fish and then put you under the floorboard? No, no, like when I'm completely under, look, there's no going under anything. If you want to go under something, you're going to need to sit under the table or under a chair, but otherwise there's no, there's no under. You're not under. It's not under, uh, under anesthetic. It isn't that it's, people are in a, a just a, a hyper-focused state. If you think about, if you think just for, for ease, we have like, we have our two minds, we have our conscious and our unconscious and our conscious mind takes up probably five, six, seven percent of our activity and our storage. Unlike our unconscious mind, which stores, you know, over 90 percent of all our other stuff. It's like our filing cabinets and our, our unconscious mind is able to store you know, literally every blade of grass that we have seen in our entire lifetime is captured and stored there. And then we go, and how do we access that? And, and how do we truly get into it to make adaptation and change and join dots and get understanding? And actually, it's actually Tasha Urich that talks in her book Insights about, you know, introspection is incredibly hard for us to do that ourselves, to sit down at the, at the end of the day or after something quite difficult or even after something quite successful and go, 
how did that happen? Why did I do that like that? Why did I make that choice? Why did I react in that way? Why did I end up feeling like that? Actually, it's incredibly difficult for us. Even if we are hugely self-aware and skilled, it's still incredibly tough for us because we start to attach things that maybe have no attachment and connection. And we join an emotion with a thought and that gives us our kind of our exit place. We do a bit of that and then we exit the loop and we go, okay, that's why. And very often that isn't, that isn't why, because we're not able to access our unconscious mind ourselves enough to get every insight that builds up the real story and, and rationale for why we, why we played like that. Hypnotherapy gives us the opportunity to do that. It's simply a vehicle for us to access all of our thinking, all of our insights, all of our experiences uh, in, a, uh, in, in a more profound and intelligent and insightful way. And I, and I think I, what I always will say to people, whether they're going to work with me or not work with me, is that take real care in finding uh, your therapist. Your, if it's, certainly if it's cognitive hypnotherapy, in fact, any therapist, be really diligent in finding someone that is good and reputable and has come recommended and has a multimodal approach uh, so has lots of different therapeutic interventions and be really clear that they are the person for you. It's like, it's unlikely we walk into a supermarket, meet someone that's buying some, uh, a tin of baked beans next to us and decide that we want them to be our life partner. We would choose normally with a bit more care and a bit more time. And, and actually we need to be choosing our therapists in the same way. Don't just pick them out of a phone book or offline because they've got a really groovy website that it means nothing so uh, I think choose with care, interview them, be absolutely sure that they are the one that you want to work with, that there is you know, psychological safety created, uh, and then actually the experience can be, uh, can be incredible and can be incredible uh, uh, quickly and in a really um, robust and deep way. Along those lines, I was in a car accident and I ended up getting a therapist that took me through, I think it was called EMDR getting just getting rid of trauma and that was gone in five minutes but it was successful because i like you said i I trusted her and i knew that she was good and it's that safe place to be able to to go there if you will You, you you've got to do the work i think a lot of people with hypnotherapists especially turn up thinking that the therapist is going to kind of put them into some magic place put them under uh, and then they're not going to do anything for 15 minutes. They're going to sit there while the therapist does all the fixing and then they're going to wake up and it's going to be all kind of tickety boo and everything is as it should be. And I, I was really clear to say, you know, I'm all in and you hold me accountable for what I deliver and I'm going to hold you accountable for what you deliver too, because the 50 minutes that we're sat here actually is pretty easy. The, the tough stuff happens when you leave that door and you go out and you, you need to continue to do this work. You need to continue to build up your resilience and build in new patterns and new neural pathways and new behaviors and new activity. So I was very clear, I will be setting you psychological tasks between this session and the next session. Uh, and you need to go and do those things because it doesn't, there, there's no, there's not, it's not magic. It's not like I kind of fix it and then off you go. It's actually, you still got to do the work because you want it to be sustainable. You want it to last uh, and you will run all kinds of patterns that look to keep you safe. And unless you're doing that work yourself, these other patterns are going to step in and you'll be back in the place that you started from. So hypnotherapy is a great vehicle for getting some 
immediate movement for unlocking, for joining some dots up, for getting some insights, for being able to release and let go. It's brilliant for that. And then it still requires uh, the individual to go and do some work. And, and for those that weren't interested in it, um, that didn't want to do that work, I go, then there's no point in, don't pay me any money. Don't, don't, you know, don't work with me. I remember a guy coming in who had been told by his consultant that unless he stopped smoking, uh, he'd be, he'd have like kind of 12 months to live. And he said, so, you know, so really, I, you know, the consultant told me I've got to stop smoking. I said, do you want to stop smoking? He's like, no, but then go away have a think about it. And at the point you get closer to your 12 months and you decide you really want to stop smoking and come back to me because I'm not a bloody magician. Hypnotherapy isn't like doing some magic. If you it comes back to that emotional wanting, you've still got to want to break that habit. You've still got to want to, you know, break that pattern and do something different. So, you know, don't expect a, any therapist or coach or certainly not a cognitive hypnotherapist to be the one that is the fixer of it. There's still got to be within you the yearning for a different outcome in your life. So you have a program that's um, called Limitless. And yeah. for those who really are stuck in their life, maybe they want to achieve and go to the next level. What's your intention in creating that program? And maybe if you could share some of the testimonies you've had. Yeah, sure. The program came about for a, uh, in, in, an, in an interesting way. So um, I guess the, the biggest gear change for me was, uh, what I notice more and more is that you know, people go through and chuck money at courses galore, books galore, but take no action. Uh, you know, we've got we've got more books on this planet than we've ever had about self development, personal development, having a better life. We've got more coaches, we've got more gurus, we've got more experts, we've got more TED talks, more online courses, more webinars. And you go, so why the hell isn't the world in a better place? Why aren't people living happier, more fulfilled lives than ever before with all this access? And uh, the kind of, there was a tipping point for me probably um, a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, <coughs> excuse me, I went to see, I won't name who it was, but a very big speaker on the circuit, American speaker, who was here doing a three-day course and actually took my brother and my nephew along as a bit of a birthday treat. I thought it would be a bit of immersive insight for them. And um, what, what completely appalled me was the hard sell, 600 people in a room, uh, hard selling to people from the moment they arrived, upselling to the next product. And I realized I was talking to people at the breaks who were going, oh yeah, I came on this workshop, you know, for the last two years, I'm really hoping I'm going to be able to buy the full program this year, but I don't know if I can afford it. And I go, well, you know, what have you done since going on the other ones? Well, nothing, because I need to buy the big program. And until I buy the big program, you know, I don't... I just don't know enough. And then, then over the two days, they continue to sell to people through blame, uh, shaming them into buying. I think it was day three when people got up to go for lunch and they were just about to sell the 30,000 pound program. And um, someone got up to go for lunch and the f facilitator said, where are you going? You're hungry, are you? And they said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get some food. I'm hungry. And they said, well, that's why you're poor because, because uh, you're going out to spend money on lunch and, actually, if, if you were really serious about this, you'd be in here signing up to this big program, but clearly you don't want it enough. And for me, it was kind of tipping point of going, this is much of the personal development industry is, uh, is, is, a, just, is appalling. It just kind of distresses me, depresses me, angers me, 
that there are so many people that take money, uh, too many gurus teaching knowledge and not teaching implementation of it, not creating a support network for people to actually take action and do something with it. So what I did after that was sit down and go, so what is it that happens? What is it that truly stops people getting what it is they want in life? What, 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 what's the thing? We're, we're so believing that it's more and more knowledge, more and more skills. I have to go on this course and I have to pay 30,000 pounds to learn the skills. And in most cases, it isn't. Most cases, it's about getting out of our own way. So we built Limitless on this backdrop of turning knowledge into action. And I wanted to build a platform and a system that means people can take any of their knowledge that they've got in their entire lifetime and take action as a result of it and turn it into something in their life. And this is about getting them back, um, it's getting back their clarity, getting them back on purpose. So it's about following North Star and doing it deliberately, getting them out of their own way and giving them uh, a process of being able to turn all of their knowledge that they have into action and then into results. And for me, I go, I, I, don't want, I don't want people to be buying anything else. I don't need to upsell anything else. We, um, we built it, as, firstly, we built it as a, as a 90-day course, a 90-day cycle, and then realized that actually, I don't want to just be selling a course. It feels like, hang on, I'm doing the same as everyone else is doing. So what we built is a, a membership site, a platform called Limitless, because, because I touched on earlier, what's incredibly important and what I've seen over the last 15 years of doing what I do, the, the development is one piece, the input is one piece, but actually way more important than that is creating this community for people to be able to thrive and to be held accountable and to um, <coughs> excuse me, ask when they're stuck, ask for help, to connect with people that they need. Uh, and that's what we built in the Limitless platform. We put the 90-day program in there, but actually within that, within the membership site, we put, we put expert interviews every month. We put weekly jolts in, which are about kind of brain food. Uh, we put articles in. We do Facebook Lives. We do deep dive webinars every month. Uh, they've got the 90-day content. They've got the membership platform allows them to connect with other members, to interface with other members. It links with the Facebook groups. They have a private Facebook group where it really becomes like their 24-7 coach. So they get the opportunity to ask questions. We have Monday people set their intentions in the group for the Friday. Friday is accountability to go, where are you? Did you deliver on what you delivered on? How come you didn't? If you did, high five. If not, what do you need next week? Um, so it's incredibly important to us about building this space where people can, can step into it and get out of their own way, but also get the help. So that's what we built. And that's been uh, alive and kicking now for, I don't know how many months, maybe uh, seven or eight months. We've got uh, a really great band of people in there, good energy, people hungry. What's lovely is that they support each other from all kinds of uh, you know, di different places. And we've got, you know, we've had people in that have tripled income since doing Limitless when that wasn't even the goal that they'd set for themselves. Others that come in and, you know, I, I know that uh, one of the ladies in there, uh, Sandra, who's kind of hugely active in the group, she talks about how, you know, it's like the real me is, you know, bubbly, enthusiastic, effervescent, sometimes a bit annoyingly smiley and positive, not the downtrodden, haggard, sometimes desperate shadow of me and she's glad that she's kind of got herself back and 
made it through and 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 I think her quote was you know I'm not joking when I say this saved my life and I think actually she was in such a dark space <clears throat> to to get that to get the learning to get the thinking to get the to get the models to get the insight it's real it's real deep inner work it has uh, cognitive hypnotherapy downloads it has videos it has people got to do the work every week and I'm really clear in the videos every week got to do the work if you think you can skip it and go to you know week 11 and do the final week think again it doesn't work like that you've got to do the inner work we are we are spend so much time chasing uh, our outer world to make our outer world better and our outer world becomes better immediately we do the inner work so limitless is about doing the inner work on yourself and doing it amongst a group of people uh, with no need to upsell i don't believe that there is any need for me to sell anything else i don't need to sell other programs i don't need to sell one-to-one coaching uh, because actually this program is about this is it this is this is all you need take all your knowledge go and get other skill knowledge if you need other skill knowledge other how to but but the limitless program offers you that uh, vehicle and mechanism to take all of your knowledge and make it real for yourself and you're actually offering a month free trial right now yeah a month free so people can sign up there's there's no commitment anyway uh, to the program once they're in once they're up and paying their uh, monthly fee when after the free month uh, there's no commitment to carry on if you if people choose not to stay um, they choose not to stay that's cool but uh, month free yeah that's pretty incredible so if you're listening the promo code for that is VIP action I want to make sure that we mention your website is btfilimitless.com where they can reach that program and I will also link your BTFI group, Facebook group, um, the website and the podcast. I want to ask you if you're able to give one piece of advice when you first started out as an entrepreneur, what would it be? Hmm. Just one, only one. (laughs) If you have more, Um, you can share more, but. For me, can I have two? Can I have two? No, I'll I'll, I'll go with one. I'll go with one. I'll stick with the rules. Um, it would be dare to begin before you are ready. And um, I think I spent a lot of time when I was probably up to the age of 25. I spent a lot of time uh, waiting for the perfect moment. And when I left theater, I also then spent a lot of time waiting for the moment to be right. And I think we more now than ever before the perfect moment is right now. There is no time to go, actually, I'll just, I'll keep dotting the I's and crossing the T's and waiting for, waiting for it to be just right. It, it is that real dare to begin before you are ready. The, the readiness is never perfect. So just start it. Start it now. If that means making a phone call, if that means asking for help, if that means sending an email, if that means doing five minutes of activity every day when you've never done anything, one minute of activity, then just do it, start it, start it right now, put it out there. People resisting blogging, they're resisting doing Facebook lives, they're resisting podcasting. You know, just do it, put one out there, put one out there. And when you put one out there, it's brilliant. When I started doing Facebook lives, the first three weeks, there was like one person on it the first week. And I think it was probably my wife. Uh, second week, I might've had two or three and they're kind of going, ah, oh, hang on, what's the point? start it there's no point you haven't got a ready-made audience of 10,000 people start it right now dare yourself to begin it 
take your first step and then that first step will give you a ton of learning and that then takes you one step closer to being extraordinary. I so agree with that too. How can you perfect something that you haven't even started? Oh, for sure. You know, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything else that you want to share? we haven't covered no, i don't think so just thank you for all that you're doing you know kind of bringing all these people together and thoughts together and just the way you are making a dent in the world every day grateful for all that you're doing well thank you you know i think that so many times when entrepreneurs out there building their businesses and they're creating these amazing things that they forget that are in some way our journeys are all similar we all go through the similar ups and downs and a lot of the same questions and a lot of the same obstacles. And so I think that it's just a powerful thing to be able to connect all of us together. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you, Amy. Well, if you are listening today, again, I want to mention Richard's website, btilimitless.com. If you'd like more information about this podcast, you can go to a call to thrive.com. I thank you so much for listening in. Have a wonderful week.